0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We gloss over it time and time again because we want to talk about other things. But today, on fantasy NBA today, the player we're talking about to open the show is the consensus number 1 overall pick, Nikola Jokic. The Joker they call him. I actually don't. I never call him by I never call him that because I feel like I would need to call him the Joker. Got to pronounce that. Got to pronounce that J the right way. Nikola Jokic. Why is there no debate on his number 1 overall status and is it the correct stance on all of this last year Jokic averaged 26.5 26 and points almost 11 rebounds over eight assists 1.3 steals 0.7 blocks on 56 and percent shooting from the field and 87 percent at the free throw line it was a ridiculous dunking that he put on the rest of the NBA and it wasn't close by averages Jokic was number one, Steph Curry was number two, and the equivalent of a late third rounder separated the first and second place guys on a per-game basis. Jokic also played all 72 games, nine more than the guy behind him, which moved this separation from a late third rounder between those two guys to a late first rounder. Do totals matter? Bet your ass they do. But what about, number one, the rumor, not a rumor, I think it's real, the note, the quote floating around from Nuggets Brass, head coach Michael Malone, saying that Jokic would be given a little bit of time off this year. What do we think about that? Well, you can see from the numbers last season that even if he had missed five, six, seven, even actually again, because Steph was the number two guy, he really could have missed about 11 or 12 games, and he still would have easily been the number one guy. If he missed like 13 or 14, then you probably get into a bit of a heat with Steph at that point. So a couple of rest days doesn't really change the calculus on this season. But what about the fact that Jokic, after a truly extraordinary start to the year was actually only pretty extraordinary from about the halfway point on it's a it's a really small line between the two but it exists the second half of the season jokic well again over the whole season it was 26 and a half remember these numbers in your head points, 1.33s, 10.8 rebounds, 8.3 assists, 1.3 steals, 0.7 blocks. And uh, percentages were were very good. Over his last 35 games, which is effectively half the season, we can do 36 if you really wanted to, he averaged 25.5 points. So one point less, 10.5 rebounds, a little bit less, 8.1 assists, a little bit less, 1.0 steals, actually substantially less, about 25% less on that department. That was the big one. Percentage numbers were the same. Turnovers were the same. What did that mean when you compare that to the rest of the NBA? Well, first of all, the guys around him were actually better in their second half of the year, meaning Steph, Jimmy Butler, James Harden. These guys were better later in the season than they were early in the season. So, the, the water level, sea level around Jokic rose up. Now, he was 100 feet above sea level in the first half. If he had done the exact same thing in the second half, he would have been like 40 feet above sea level. And then, he got a little bit... I mean, almost microscopically in a number of different categories, but when you put them all together, they all matter. One point, half a rebound, two-tenths of an assist... Three-tenths of a three-pointer, three-tenths of a steal. That was the big one because he went from actually being a positive impact steals guy to not, to being league average, basically, in that department. So again, these were not big shifts, but it was enough, actually, during the second half of the season to make Jokic the number three player overall in fantasy. The two guys ahead of him, Steph Curry and Jimmy Butler. Yeah, Jimmy Butler was number two in all of fantasy the last 35 games last year. half points, half a three ball. Ain't doing it there. Six and a half boards, 6.8 assists, a ridiculous 2.2 steals, 0.3 blocks, 52% from the field, 87 at the free throw line on eight attempts per game. That's crazy. And only 2.1 turnovers. Steph, in the second half of last year, half points per game, 5.6 three-pointers, rebounds, 5.7 assists, 1.2 steals. 47% from the field, 91 high-volume free-throw number. Was he way out in front of Jokic over that stretch? No. They they were separated by the equivalent of basically like like an early sixth rounder. So it was quite tight. As opposed to, as we mentioned earlier on, Jokic ahead of Steph in the first half of the season by about Well, more, I guess we should say, because over the entire season, they were separated by uh, a late third rounder. The reason I bring this up is just to give us a little something extra to think about when we're making that call. Actually, Joel Embiid was the number two player in fantasy the first half of last year. Steph was number three. Steph didn't, I mean, Steph did get better. Make no mistake. His free throw number came down a little bit, but his scoring went way up. Embiid got worse and got hurt, and Jokic again got worse. He was at 1.7 steals the first half last year. You knew that wasn't going to stick. Did you care? No. No, nor should we really care. When that came down, he got lumped into a group with a couple of other guys. Are we still taking Nikola Jokic one overall this season? The answer is almost definitely yes, because even if he takes five or six games off, that's still him probably playing more than the other guys near him on a per-game basis, which is probably Steph. You might see Embiid there in the top five on a per-game basis. You might even see Durant climb into that area. Could Harden get there? Eh, Maybe. It's close. Jimmy Butler getting back there again for a, a full chunk of season? Probably not. But I still love him. Make no mistake. But just talking about sort of at a, a, a cross-sectional glance here. But I don't think it's as cut and dry as ADPs and discussion would indicate. I want to make. I want to once again note. Yes, the answer to the question is yes. He is still your number one guy. But if you're in a head-to-head league, like in Roto, it's it's not even a question mark because he's so damn good. He's good in points, rebounds, assists good enough in the defensive stats both percentages are are terrific you really only need help in threes and like you're probably going to need to get blocks out of a big guy at some point later on that'll have to be a category you focus on with Jokic there, there's very little for you to worry about later in the draft whereas with Steph yeah he takes care by himself of like free throws points threes and, but then he's above average in assists he's pretty good rebounder for a point guard steals are good but they're not going to like win you a league or anything and field goal percent is going to is going to be fine because you'll pair him with a big guy and that'll make it good because he's good for a guard but you have things to worry about you need to shore up rebounds need to shore up blocks in a big way you need uh, another point guard that assists probably more there are just more needs but flip that on its head and in a head-to-head league You could make an argument that, hey, look, if I'm like not that interested in rebounds, I don't really need to go Jokic one overall. Steph is better, was better in the second half last year. And if you are more or less, I mean, you don't even call it a full punt, but if you're even soft punting rebounds, Steph jumps way out in front of him last season. On a per-game basis, that's still worth mentioning, although I do think those guys get a little bit closer. Jokic is number three per game last year without rebounds factored in. Steph is number one. Kyrie Irving actually was number two without rebounds on the board. Jokic still number three. That's how unbelievable he was and everything across the board. But again, arguments to be made. I'm still taking Jokic number one. I play in a lot of nine-cat roto leagues where he's an absolute monster. But if someone took Steph... I wouldn't call them insane. Welcome to the show, everybody. See, this is what I promised. We do a fantasy thing at the beginning. Welcome to the podcast. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. Thanks so much for tuning in here on this Monday, October the 4th. Talking to Matt Smith, coming up here in just a matter of moments. Before we do, a few key things to throw in your face. Number one, I desperately need all of you guys that are coming back to the podcast after a long layoff to make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Anybody new to the show, please hit that subscribe button. If you have 75 seconds to leave a five-star review, I'll love you forever, but the subscribe button is the needle mover for us here at this time of year. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris because, number one, I do a lot of fantasy chatter there. I take a bunch of questions. We do tweet storms. We do a lot of things to that are in the moment, that are the sort of instant reaction type of stuff you can't get on this daily podcast. And if you want to get on a hoopball league waiting list, which is officially where we're at now, and if we get big enough on the wait list, we might open up a new league, but at the very least you can secure yourself a spot for next season, hit me up on Twitter. If you want to work with us here at hoopball, a lot of recruiting emails have come in my way. Some have come via email to team at hoop dash ball.com. Most of them have come via Twitter and so with that, I'll make sure you guys know how to spell my name. It's D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. At one point in the distant past, I learned what the uh, the military abbreviation or the military words for those letters. Bravo Echo Sierra. Bravo Romeo India Sierra. B-E-S-B-R-I-S on the last name. Or just Google Dan from Hoopball. I will see you there. This, by the way, is not a cop-out. This is a real trophy that folks need to remember what mantle it rests on. Our next expert guest on the show is the current reigning champ for the most downloaded episode of Fantasy NBA Today on a non-Friday. And I know that sounds like a real baseball-y kind of stat, like, you know, so-and-so is 6 for 11 over his last 11 at-bats on the second Sunday of each month, but it's not because the Friday weekend show – has three full days for people to listen to it before something jumps in in front. You were on a Tuesday last week, and it's the most downloaded non-Friday show we've had in Fantasy NBA today. So, welcome back to the pod, the great Matt Smith. Good day to you, sir. Good
1: day, Dan. Thank you for having me back on, and it's, uh, yeah, still got that record. That's That's good to hear.
0: That's right, and I think... I want to see if I can position this stuff so that I can either, one, get you on a Friday, which actually might not matter because I think I'm doing a show every day in October, or just kind of level the playing field, which perhaps is what I'm doing by having a show uh, every day in the month of October. And I've got to think that the reason that you are the midweek record holder is because the previous year, you were the uh, number two downloaded episode that we had that entire season And I think that's because you gave everybody Davis Bertans on this show two seasons back, and he was top 40 basically being undrafted that year. So is it reputation? I don't know. But either way, we're rolling with it, and I like it. By the way, you can follow Matt on Twitter, at s I'm Happy to have you back. How's your year? I mean, we talked, I think, in like February. I know you got some big stuff going on on the personal side. I won't give any of that out on the podcast. If you want to, you can. But uh, Mm -hmm. how's life, man?
1: Life is good. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, there's a bit going on. My wife is pregnant and due literally any day now, probably in the next seven to 10 days, um, awesome. right around the start of the season. So that's exciting and scary all rolled into one. Um, but <laughs> yeah, just looking forward to getting another full 82 game season um, started soon, so yeah, can't wait.
0: Normalcy, huh? An 82 game season. Well, congratulations, that's fantastic. I didn't want to, I didn't want to give away any news if you wanted to sort of play it coy, but I'm assuming you know, with one week to go, it's not really uh, an easy secret to keep anymore.
1: <laughs> no, and if I'm off Twitter for you know 24 to 48 hours, that will be why.
0: Well, we'll all be when we see that moment when you go dark. That's when we'll know to to wish you a social yeah. media congratulations. That's outstanding. Is this. You have any kids yet?
1: No, this is the first oh, one. Oh
0: boy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> first trip. That's great, man. I I don't I don't have any advice. Not that anybody really wants it anyway. Just just enjoy the moments. Uh try to remember them. They they fade quickly because yep. you don't sleep and then your memory loss starts to set in. So do try to remember them as best you can. Uh, we're diving into the mock draft. We're diving into the mock. Matt, you had the seventh overall pick. I can count quickly as we just yes. learned. Uh, so we'll just do the usual fare, kind of blitz through them. The ones that are fairly straightforward. We don't have to lay on too long. Uh, probably spend a little bit longer on a couple of them, the interesting names. And then at the end, we'll uh, we'll get your favorite. Did we decide on Smitty's or Ruffies for the name uh, for the, the late round value guys? Either or. It's up it's completely up to you, mate. It's your show. You can call them whatever you like. Well, you are Smitty, so we're calling them Smitties today, so that's how it's going to roll. Uh, seventh overall, Carl uh, Anthony Towns. That's a pretty—I don't I don't know that we need to talk this one to any great length. He's, uh, he's Cat. I mean, what—you know, I guess my only question there, if I'm going to play small devil's advocate, is are we worried at all about the fact that he has— teammates who also want to do things on offense or is it really kind of like a hey maybe that'll wake him up sort of scenario and at the end of the day he's still cat
1: yeah I think that's actually a benefit this year so he's got some teammates around him and hopefully a healthy D'Angelo Russell and we saw what Anthony Edwards did at the end of last season Malik Beasley back in the fold there as well I have Towns at number four on my personal ranking so really nice to see him fall to me at number seven um about to turn 26 are coming into the prime of his career and hopefully those injuries and hardships are behind him and this will be you know Carl Anthony Towns back to his very best.
0: Yeah, what a tough year cat had. There's just no way to kind of put that into words on a fantasy basketball podcast. So you feel pretty good about his health coming into this season? Yeah, I
1: think so when We've heard that he's slimmed down a little bit, whether that's due to, you know, the illnesses he's had or whether that's, um, you know, an effort on his behalf just to shed some of the, the body weight um, and to, to make him leaner and fitter and healthier. But um, either way, I think, you know, yeah, those injuries he's had and like I said, the hardships and, and the personal stuff, I hope that's all behind him and he can get back to playing, you know, that 75 to 80 games this season and uh, really solidify himself as a top five pick.
0: Yeah, I think we, we certainly are all rooting for him, maybe more than any other well-known player in the NBA these days. At pick 18, Freddie Van Fleet. This is, a, this is a fun one, and one worth discussing, not so much because there's anything unusual about this pick, but because it feels like he's now become, and it's not always the case, but it feels like he's become kind of the end of that group of Really valuable players and and there were a couple more in this league i get I mean you could make an argument that like a Jimmy Butler who went after him is a guy who who has that type of upside as well, but you're seeing in a lot of leagues now, Matt Freddie van Fleet kind of marks the the end of that kind of second group of basketball players before there's now is is becoming and you tweeted about it how the the late middle late second round into the beginning of the third has become this weird semi-wasteland, and you got the guy right before all of that took place. So congratulations are in order there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd have no problem taking Fred Van Vliet sort of in the middle of the second round. I like Trey Young there as well, who went um, prior to him in this draft. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, tweeted out the other day or about just don't like the end of that second round with Nikola Vucevic, um, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, um, Donovan Mitchell. Just It just feels like we're paying... Top dollar, You know, Zach Levine and Julius Randle are coming off their best seasons. Can they improve? Probably not considering the pieces that have been put around them um, heading into this season. So I still like them in that back end of the second, early third round. And I don't think their value will move too much. Um, But I just, yeah, it just feels like we are paying top dollar for those guys. But really happy to get um, Van Vliet. Obviously his field goal percentage is going to be an issue. um, And probably haven't done as well as I would have liked to counteract that throughout the draft. Um, But, yeah, elite scoring, the steals in particular, um, three-point shooting with no Kyle Lowry there. Um, In Toronto, Fred Van Vliet is in for a huge season.
0: If Freddie Van Vliet wasn't there, and I know people listening can't see this draft board directly, who would you have taken if Freddie wasn't on the board here? Um, Yeah, good question. Probably would have then looked at maybe the Jimmy
1: Butler. I know he went at 21. He's probably... The next in line, um, Michael Porter went directly after at 19, which I think is a little bit too early. And now, um, around his vaccination, you know, question mark and how many games he's going to play. Demarius Sabonis was in that area as well. Um, and then, in terms of the guards, it fell back down to Zach Levine and Donovan Mitchell. So probably would have been between Jimmy Butler and Zach Levine.
0: Yeah, I think I think I'm with you on on uh, Jimmy Butler there as well. Third round pick, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. This one really is a question of whether or not we think the Thunder are going to pack it in 20 games before the end of the season again. I take it you believe they're going to actually let him play. By the way, I should mention, I think I basically agree with you on that. It it feels like NBA players, really good ones, don't want to tank two years in a row. That kind of sucks for them. Um, but I have to assume that was behind this pick in the third round.
1: A little bit. I do still have some concerns that the Thunder will rest Gildas Alexander in the second half of the season. Um, but so in head-to-head leagues, maybe I wouldn't have taken this pick, ah, but in a okay. roto league where, as you know, Dan, um, it's easier to, to feel that um, game is played spot if players do rest. Uh, but at pick 31, he was the 32nd um, player on a per game value last season. I think he'll definitely be inside the top 25, could potentially be inside the top 20, Um, And to get sort of, yeah, 25, five and five, a steal and block per game, elite efficiency from a guard as well, which will help me a little bit taking Van Vliet that round earlier. Um, So I'm really comfortable taking Shaggy Gilgis-Alexander here at 31.
0: 42 was Chris Stops. This is an interesting one. I feel like this is one we can probably pause on a little bit because he's become uh, one of those guys who sometimes you see him go at like... Thirty, And sometimes you see him go at 60 and you kind of split the difference here a little bit there to some degree. He comes into this year healthy. I'm sure they're going to give him some days off. We don't know exactly how many, but when he's right, he's basically a top 20 per game guy. And in a Roto games capped format, which is basically what we were drafting for here. Yeah. I actually really like him in the 40s. That's what I've been saying on the pot. If you can, if you can wait it out into the 40s, there's a lot of upside there. And it seems like, Matt, you almost don't need to worry that much about how many games he misses because now you're talking fourth round. That's a pick where he can miss 20, 25 games, and it won't completely derail your team, right?
1: I would hope not. Um, <laughs> on paper, on paper, there can be a little bit of a concern taking Porzingis and Gilgis Alexander um, directly on after each other. But as we mentioned in the Roto League, you know, we can um, find it, easier to, to make up those games missed. Um, but this pick in our, and my next pick as well was really about positional scarcity. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But in our basketball monster projections, there are only 19 players who are projected to average at least eight rebounds in one block. Um, and, and of those 19 players, there's only three that are projected to have a positive impact in free throw percentage. And one of them is Carl anthony Towns Another one is actually Kristaps Porzingis. So to have two of them um, out of the three on the same team um, gives me a, a huge advantage in, in that category in particular. Um, and there are some, some good signs already and some um, some positive reports coming out of the Mavericks camp around Porzingis this season and how they're going to use him and, and they want him to shoot the ball more and um, really make him a focal point of that offence.
0: Were you as excited as I was that he had a complete disaster of a postseason? Because my thought was, oh, this dude's falling down draft boards now.
1: Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> like you mentioned before, he's been a top 20, 25 player on a per game value. It's all about his his health, consistency, continuity, and getting back out there on the court. So um, I think in that in that fourth round in the 40 range, I think that's a pretty good spot. Um, yeah, if you can sort of take that hit on on maybe the games played around him.
0: Much as I enjoyed Cat and Van Vliet, and I I like the risk here on Porzingis, I'm kind of mixed on Shea. I think your fifth-round pick might be my favorite pick you had in this draft because it's like the ultimate tap-in. It's the fantasy tap-in. John Collins at 55. This is a dude who has, outside of a suspension, generally been pretty healthy. And last year in what everybody felt like was a massive down season – was still hovering right around top 40 in nine category leagues. There's there, there really isn't that many, you know. He's a he's a set your clock to him kind of guy. You know what you're gonna get. Percentages are great. What more? I mean, I'd love for you to add to that. I know I'm sort of talking. I'm I'm walking all over your reasoning for John Collins, <laughs> but this one feels like the ultimate safe pick. And there's very few. There are ways things can things can go awry, but there are very few ways that this could go wrong with him this late in a draft? I don't even... What is he even doing on the board near 60?
1: That is a very good question. And like I mentioned before, this one was really around um, positional scarcity. So, Dan, if you remember sort of going back over the f- past five to 10 years, and we had that point guard run in the late second and early third rounds. This season, it's all about a big men run in sort of the fourth, fifth, and even into the early sixth round. Um, so... With my pick before, with Paul Zingas, we had Yusuf Nurkic, Clint go off the board, Robin Williams, Miles Turner, Rashawn Holmes, um, Chris uh, Boucher went. Mm. And then, it, you know, those those big men really came off the board quickly. So here it was a John Collins, a Jonas Valanciunas were probably the next two um, available. I like Collins more than Valanciunas. Um, so here it was about, you know, making sure I've got another big man um, to pair with Carl anthony Towns and Paul Zingas. As you mentioned, the elite efficiency um, like the value that, that I've got here with Collins. And then I knew sort of in round six, there was going to be more guards go off the board, but I was still
0: going to get you know a decent guard at, at that pick, and I think I did. I think you did too. I think your sixth round pick might be my least favorite on your team, which I feel like I can say because I've said so many nice things at this point. I just don't trust D'Angelo Russell yet, and maybe I should. Maybe I should, like, I I always try to preach on this pod, don't hold fantasy grudges. But every time I've tried with him, he's crapped all over my team. And then, like, the one year that I was like, no, no chance, was the <laughs> year he had a really good season uh, out in Brooklyn. Uh, D'Lo at 66, it's not a, it's, you know, it's not like it's a massive risk there. If something goes wrong, he's probably still inside the top 90. Uh, but I just, I can't, I can't bring myself to like his fantasy game that much. Can you talk me into it?
1: Uh I, well, I can try to. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think that's fair, and we haven't seen D'Angelo Russell um, have a, a a good crack at it, a good run in terms of his health and consistency. Um, so we have seen him though in the past. He has had some top forty seasons. Um, there is the opportunity for him to get back into that range this season. Um, like I said, he just needs to stay healthy. So at sixty six willing to take that risk um, and the guards behind him, Ben Simmons, no thanks, Russell Westbrook, not in nine cat roto, Colin Sexton, Sexton was after which, um, you know, maybe, but I, I like Russell a little bit more on a per game basis. um then it was like Malcolm Brogdon and Kyle Lowry. So um, in terms of what else I had to, to pick with, I still think D'Angelo Russell was the best of the bunch and, and probably had the highest upside and highest ceiling.
0: Yeah, there is a pretty good drop off there, at least in terms of what, some of those next uh, clump of guys can do. Brogdon, yeah, he sort of teases us with those top 30, 35 runs and then eventually he settles back into the 50 to to 60 range. Um you mentioned Kyle Lowry. There's almost no way he makes it through the season fully healthy. He's on the wrong side of his prime. And then you're moving way down the board to like Kemba Walker. You know what what are we So there's a pretty good drop off there. And from that from that perspective I and mean, you're certainly not going the Russell Westbrook path it, it does make a lot of sense I like your next pick a lot Marcus smart who flew under the radar a little bit last year because he he like every Celtic had kind of a down season I I love targeting Boston this year they they just everything that could go wrong went wrong they were full Murphy's law last season and you just you have to feel like they're that whole team is in bounce back mode he's the likely the starting point guard on that team so you have to like that as well I just I don't know. I feel like there's a lot to like about him. And he also has a really high floor. The only issue with Smart is that he often plays so darn hard, he plays himself into a little nagging knee or back injury or something like that. But, I mean, again, with Roto, if you get 68 out of 82 games from him uh, and he beats his ADP on a per-game basis, I like it a lot. Are you looking at the point guard thing? What's your uh, what's the angle here on Marcus other than just, like, he's he's probably going to be a pretty safe play?
1: Yeah, I guess... Part of it was to give me a little bit of insurance for D'Angelo Russell, and if he does miss t- um, some games, it it allows me to um, you know Marcus Smart to to pick up some of that those that production that he leaves behind. Um, I guess getting some elite steals at this position as well. Robert Covington, Mike Connolly, Jonathan Isaac um, were the three guys after Marcus Smart, so some really nice steals option in this range. Um, huh. The his his field goal percentage. Obviously, Hurts and pairing him with Fred Van Vliet is less than ideal, but for the assists and steals and threes combo, um, hopefully I've you know done enough early in terms of my points per game to take that small hit with Smart as well. Like you said, a pretty high floor. Um, you know, Yeah, pretty durable, good roll, good minutes. Um, so yeah, a pretty safe pick inside the top 80.
0: You know, I hadn't actually noticed that there was sort of a steals run in the seventh round. Is that have you seen that happen in other drafts, or was that just a weird coincidence in this one?
1: You can find some steals in this area of the draft and um, Nikki Alexander-Walker went at 70, which I think is too early, but he's another strong steals option there. Um, Larry Nance went in the next round. So if you do miss out on some steals early or if you want to really build on that category, this is the um, the part of the draft where you can do it. Cade Cunningham went um, in here as well. Hmm. Um, So there are some nice steals options sort of through that seventh,
0: eighth and ninth rounds. That's interesting. I hadn't looked at that before. Uh PJ Washington in the 8th. This is this is a lovely. This is a lovely pick. He has all upside, especially if the percentages start to improve for him. Uh love it. This feels like a spot. Is this one of those moments where you were like I'm going to go get my guy. I'm not going to wait around on it? A
1: little bit. Um I also don't really like this sort of 80 to 100 range. I just find it really difficult to find some players who I like um, PJ Washington, still not sure about his role, whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench, but I think there'll be enough minutes there for him either way to contribute. Um, the, the three steals blocks combo um, is really interesting. Um, had some really nice games last season as well. So still some, still some upside there with PJ Washington, that Mason Plumley coming across is a small concern, Um, But he's probably one of those guys who I do like in this area and just, yeah, I'm finding myself um, just yeah drafting PJ Washington. It's not like I'm really, really wanting him, but he's just probably one of those guys who I feel most confident about um, in this sort of range.
0: Yeah. And as you and you look at guys in this range, he's one where you're like, well, if a few things break the right way, he could beat this by a lot. Those guys are not readily available at this juncture of the draft anymore like it's hard to find dudes in the 80s 90s past 100 this is pick number 90 by the way on the nose that have the ability to to get into that 60 range per game now it's not to say that it will definitely happen but like if you look at the dudes around him uh reggie jackson he'll do some scoring this year but i don't see any path for him to get to like top 60 he just doesn't have the other categories to get there brooke lopez a little too old din Weedy has the the uh, efficiency issues and you know it it goes on like that like really a, a select handful nance is probably one of the only other ones who went right after you here that has been in that neighborhood at any point in his career so far and then maybe get al horford way down the board but that's a very yeah. different situation uh Jaden mcdaniel's in the ninth this is an interesting one because i feel like we did this mock draft relatively early. That's obviously my fault, but I wanted to make sure there was time to talk about it. He feels like the late round hype guy who was going at like 130, two weeks before this draft, and now then it was 100. Uh, does he end up going in like the 80s before most of us do our real drafts, or is this where he's going to hang out?
1: I think maybe the Jade McDaniels hype might have slightly cooled off a little bit in the last couple of weeks, which is which is weird because we haven't had any um, reason for that not to or mm. for it to, to continue to increase. We haven't seen any games yet. But um, I think if McDaniel starts going in the 80-90 the range, it's probably a little bit early. Once we get triple figures, um, I love it. Um, yeah, obviously, there's not a lot of ball going to go his way with, with Towns, Russell, Anthony Edwards. But if he can do enough on the defensive end with the steals, blocks, rebounds... Um, had a nice run at the the end of last season to show that he does have a nicely well-rounded fantasy game. Um, so at this point, I'm willing to take that gamble, probably could do with another big here as well. Um, so it fits that mold. And between him and PJ Washington, I just hope that one of them hits and they can, can be that top 80 player
0: and, and give me a boost. Your next pick was not hurt when uh, we did this mock draft and then Aiden, well, I forget what happened, turned an ankle or something. Hopefully it was hopefully it's relatively small. It's Will Barton at one fourteen, who had actually prior to this mock said he felt as good as he had in like two to three years. He's um Streaky. He's streaky. Give me the reasoning behind Will Barton at one fourteen. Um, once again,
1: probably just wanted a, a wing at this stage as well. Um, you know, the good role, yes, like you said, at this stage when we did draft, he was healthy. I think currently he's in a moon boot, but should be um, getting rid of that in the next few days. Um, the questions now around Michael Porter Jr., as I mentioned, and how many games he's going to play. So, someone is going to need to help out Vucevic there, uh, sorry, um, Nikola Jokic um, in Denver. And I think Will Barton is. The, the next man um, who's really going to put up some good numbers. And when he's healthy, um, he can be, you know, really useful in points, rebounds, assists, the steals and threes as well. So, um, yeah, quite like that pick. And I guess the guys around him, Malik Beasley went before, um, TJ McConnell, De'Anthony Melton um, went at the start of this round who mm. I probably would have considered there as well. Maybe now knowing a bit more about what... Boston are going to do with that front court situation and playing through Al Horford, maybe he would have been a better pick in hindsight, but um, I'm still pretty comfortable taking Will Barton here at 114.
0: 127, Derek Favors, also known as new Al Horford out in Oklahoma City. This feels like one where you're like, you know what, if I get 35 good games out of him in my 11th round pick, I feel just fine about that. Is this another OKC rehab situation, just rehab the value and... Jettison him somewhere else, and you know, ultimately, from a fantasy standpoint, you know, who cares? You don't need him for the whole year.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was a a case of if I can get twenty-five to thirty good games out of Derek Favors, um, even if that's over the first, you know, part of the season, get off to a quick start. Both him and and myself um, give me some good um, big man stats, add to my blocks, which I haven't got a real lot of um, throughout the draft. um, Good efficiency. Um, and then, yeah, when the times come when he's either resting or if he's traded to a contender, um, then you drop him and let him go and find a hot free agent. I I think off the waiver wire, I'll be able to find someone who can replace those games that Derek Favors doesn't play in.
0: Yeah, it's nice, too, when guys get shut down like that or whatever it is that happens to him, because you don't have to hang on. You don't need to use that roster spot anymore, and it's not sort of burning a hole in your team's bench. It, It will, I assume, take a little bit of sort of night-to-night, watchful eye kind of thing. You know, get him in there when you know he's in, playing a full complement yeah. of minutes. If you get word that he might rest, or if they're going to try to go light on him, then you yank him out. But he's shown that he can put up solid fantasy value in only about 25 minutes of game, which feels pretty doable, considering how young and, frankly, bad a lot of the players are <laughs> on that OKC frontcourt. I mean, like... I know we all love Poku, but the dude's about 115 pounds and seven feet tall. There's there's just, which I can say these things because I am that same stature. So I know it's not going to be easy sledding until they get a little older, fill out a little bit. Uh, So yeah, all that to say, Derek favors there should be some kind of position for him there. And then Killian Hayes was your 12th rounder at 138. I guess we don't fully know what he's going to be doing in Detroit. There's a lot of moving pieces out there, but assists, steals, kind of a last-round specialist here for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, point guards who um, or starting point guards who, you know, probably penciled in for around 30 minutes a night are pretty hard to find. Killian Hayes should be that. Um, As you mentioned, the good assists and steals, um if it works, I think there's a, lot, a ton of upside. If it doesn't, then so be it. But um I think it's worth a worth a shot here. There probably could have been another, you know, half a dozen guys who I could have considered, but just thought I'd give uh Killian Hayes a go and
0: and um yeah.
1: All see right. how it would all play out.
0: Chance for you to one up yourself again talking to Matt Smith of Basketball Monster at S Man Sports on Twitter. Can you one up twenty nineteen Davis Bretons with your With everybody else that's come on the show, I've referred to it uh, while sort of frowning a little bit as the sleeper. But with you, we're looking for Smitties. Who are your Smitties here that you've been targeting? If it's not the guys you ended up with in this draft. Maybe it it is just Hayes and Favors and Barton and McDaniels and PJ and whatever. But is there anybody else that you were like, damn, I really wanted that guy and they kind of slipped by? okay so the
1: first one I've got for you is um, yeah Nikhil Alexander Walker out of the Pelicans as I mentioned before he went at pick 17 in this draft to set Steve Alexander um for me that's too early and I didn't want um, Alexander Walker I wouldn't have taken him over DeAngelo Russell and I probably still wouldn't have taken him over Marcus smart but yeah, I agree I think if you can find him in that, Probably 80 to 100 range if he's definitely still there at 100. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, We saw at the end of last season when he was inserted into the starting lineup. I know the Pelicans had some injuries, but they really relied on his scoring, his steals, um, three-point shooting as well, some handy assists. Um, That backcourt has obviously changed with Devontae Graham next to him, so we'll still see how that dynamic all plays out. But I think Alexander Walker is in for a a really strong season um, and really like him as a late-round pick. Um, the other two situations which I'm really keen to watch are the Magic frontcourt um, around Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Bumba. I think one of those is going to have a really strong season. I don't know which one yet, and that's the problem. <laughs> um, we've sort of heard maybe Wendell Carter Jr. might slide across the power forward with Jonathan Isaac still coming back. And once again, his uh, vaccination question mark. But I think... Yeah, like I said, one of those um, will be should will, should be pretty good, and I think if you can get one on on your roster, um, it's definitely worth trying. By the way, and the other, I'm going to yeah.
0: jump in before your last Smitty. I actually really yeah. like Mo Bamba because we've seen he sort of falls into that weird new iteration of center that only needs like 22 minutes to be fantasy relevant. I love it when you can find a backup because yeah. even if he's even if he's playing behind Wendell Carter Jr., we saw he did more with his minutes than Carter Jr. did late last year, and he'll come cheaper on draft night. In general, although I guess they went relatively close in our draft, like a round and a half apart. I feel like they're usually farther apart than that.
1: They are, um, and as I mentioned before, that's partly due to this big man run in the sort of the fourth, fifth, ends in the sixth round. Once you get to um, sort of Isaiah Stewart there from the Pistons, and then it drops down to Jakob Pertl and probably Jarrett Allen, um, and then after that, you know, then you are looking at your Wendell Carter Jr., your Mo Bamba, maybe Mitch Robinson, throw that in, but he's not healthy at the moment. Um, you know, Larry Nance, but he's not a shot blocking a big. So, you know, Daniel Gafford is probably the next one as well out of Washington. Um, so, yeah, those those big men do really fall away. So that's why I think, you know, that Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba combo, um, you know, yeah, if you do need an, another big, definitely target one of those guys.
0: I jumped in, so I apologize. I cut you off right before you were going to do a third uh, Smitty, I think.
1: Yeah, i was just going to give you one more situation. One more. I love that.
0: it. I love it. Hit me. <laughs> that is um,
1: over with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Derek Favors, as we mentioned, um, significant rest and shutdown risk there. There's no standouts, as you mentioned. Pukizewski, um has a really, really nice fantasy game. It's just a matter of whether that can come to fruition this season or we're going to wait a little bit longer. And the other one is Isaiah Roby. Really keen to see what he can do um, this season. Darius Basley is the other one in the mix, but I'll have Roby and Pekusevsky both above him. Um, so really keen to see what they can do in the preseason um, in these games that are coming up. Um, so if you haven't drafted, yeah, mention or We'll have a look at those two. If you have drafted... There's a there's a high chance that one, if not both, will be on your waiver wire. So, um, I think at some stage these two will have a, a pretty nice run of value and will just about be must own players.
0: You know what's kind of nice before I let you go is that it feels like this type of situation does surface now on almost an annual basis, where you have that, and, and you've talked about it actually here on this on this hit, uh, which is you get these runs of big men in particular. There's like the early big man run, which last year was kind of late second round. This year, it feels like it's sort of almost rolling into the middle of the third. And then there's that next chunk of big men, uh, which you talked about. There was like the, the fourth, fifth. And then there's the third one, which is like the end of the sixth through the beginning of the eighth round. And then everybody's starting to panic, but there are actually kind of sprinklings of big men in these weird situations, in and again, in a head-to-head, it's a lot harder because you need those guys that are not going to give you zeros, and you, you want to be able to rely on dudes because there's weekly move caps and stuff of that nature. Games cap roto, like these situations you're talking about, the Bomba, Wendell Carter Jr., the whatever the hell's going on in Oklahoma City, these can be spots you just monitor night to night, week to week, that turn into really interesting areas for roto value. And then those guys are the ones that are suddenly part of the seventh round run on centers the next year. So I think, if anything, we can take away from your Smitties, or I think we've even decided maybe we call them Ruffies, is that you don't have to panic on the big man runs, because this type of thing happens in in beautiful cycles, and we just have to kind of stay in front of it. All that, yeah. again, to say... Yeah. uh, I love your points there. I love focusing on that big man stuff and sorry, I cut you off again. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say that as long as you get, you know, one or two early, then you can add a nice piece later on. And as I mentioned, Daniel Gafford is another one who should get off to a hot start in Washington before um, um, Thomas Bryant comes back and and maybe the same with Montrez Harrell off the bench. If he can find, you know, 26, 28 minutes a night, he might be another one who you can slot in, but I think at that back end of your roster, as always, really going to have to be flexible. And um, there's going to be some guys here, there who can get you off to a hot start. Um, and then, yeah, when their time comes, just dump them and find the next hot free agent, which is what fantasy is all about.
0: Yes, I love it. We're getting close enough where you can start to think about that nightly watching of the games, the box score, the churn, the roster moves, the who are you going to drop, who are you going to pick up. Damn it, I love it. I'm finally, I'm starting to feel it. This is a weird offseason. Didn't you feel like this was sort of like. I know there was only one month missing compared to a, a traditional normal off-season, but it felt like the highs and lows between the playoffs and now the start of the year, they all felt misplaced. Like, my my internal clock is all out of whack. Did you have that? Did you feel that too, or were you immune to that?
1: Uh, it felt like a really short off-season for me being a Phoenix Suns fan, and obviously we made it through to the finals, Dan, which yeah, it's was, pretty good, um, fantastic. And then we had the Olympics on and watching the basketball tournament and all the other sports, and then it was straight into what the draft and free agency and then you know straight back into fantasy. So um it has felt like a short off season, but yeah, that's yeah, perfectly right. fine by me.
0: You're right. Yeah. It's felt short and then it felt like the the down period maybe this was a better way to describe it. It feels like the off season's down period happened way too close to the actual start of the season this time around. We clustered all of the stuff like at the beginning. We never got that chance to decompress after the season so then everybody took it uh, like two weeks ago, and then you have to get kind of revved back up again because the season's just a month away. He is the marvelous Matt Smith at S-Man Sports, a basketball monster looking to once again put the trophy on the mantle. Let's help him do it, folks. Subscribe to the pod. Follow Matt, Mr. Smith. Uh, congratulations in advance. Good luck with uh, the the really big deal happening to you, non-fantasy related. Um I assume you'll be naming your first son Davis, or is it, I don't <laughs> well, know if it might be a girl actually. I should have asked that. Yeah.
1: I've, I've tried to get Luca, but the, uh, the wife's already declined. That, so <laughs> it definitely won't, won't be called Luca, but I do have another basketball name up my sleeve just in case. There so so how yeah, it all plays out, but, um, Appreciate the kind words, mate. Thank you. And yeah, always good to talk. And hopefully we can do it again um, during the season.
0: Same. Yeah. Hit me up when you uh, when you guys are all resettled after the the big delivery. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Perfect. Thank you, Dan. Cheers. Thanks, Matt. Smitty. Let's make it the most downloaded midweek show in the history of this podcast. Think we can do it? Non-Friday episode? Although, now that we're having shows on the weekends, I don't think the Friday shows are going to be the big... Behemoth. It's just October, though. We're not doing that through the whole year. This is the fourth episode this month. I'm gonna lose my mind before we do 31 and 31 days, but we're gonna try it. Damn it. So, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Wendell Carter Jr. slash Mo Bamba, and then whatever the hell's going on in the front court in Oklahoma City. Interesting targets here on the nine cat Roto Games cap side of things. Those those last two really, the Bamba favors stuff. Y- you really you can't go that route in head-to-head, which kind of sucks. Yet another reason I like Roto more. You can actually play a good player who doesn't participate in every single ball game, especially as you work your way through a draft. Anywho, we rumble along. More guest spots coming up the rest of the week. Order to be determined. But I can tell you that we already have spots in the tank from our buddy Mike Catron. Our buddy Mike Barner. Yeah, I knocked out the mics. What of it? We knocked out the mats last week. <laughs> uh, let's see. Tomorrow, that's not true, actually. We're talking about Lawson tomorrow, so there's another one. Another mat. We got all the mats. We'll have them taken care of. Wednesday, Jonas Nader we'll talk to, Alex Ricklin Again, I don't know when these are going to drop into the show. I'm telling you when I'm actually recording with these guys. We'll talk to Josh Millman, Josh Lloyd, Dr. A, Brew, Greg Ehrenberg. lot left to do here. And even saying it out loud makes my voice feel tired. Thanks for listening again, everybody. Please do subscribe and rate the pod. I need this from you guys. I really do. I need your help. I'll keep doing 31 shows in 31 days. That's what I need back from you guys. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure people know about the show and follow me on Twitter. And hopefully you guys can help me grow that as well because it's sort of a almost an infinite snowball effect. More people that find me on Twitter, more that find the show, more that find the show, then they find Twitter, and that can then find more people there, and they find the show, and so on and so forth. And that is my lifeblood. I know HoopBall, we got all the good stuff going on HoopBall, Brewski 150 projections, all that stuff. The old school bundle actually got access to the B-150 today. That also had an update today. Brewski 150 got updated, so go recheck that. If you've already seen it, Fantasy Pass gets access five days from today. That is on Saturday, he said, while counting in his head. Yeah, I got that right. Okay, folks, have a wonderful Monday. That'll wrap things up. I'm Dan Vesperus for Fantasy NBA Today. Big thank you once again to the great Matt Smith at S-Man Sports on Twitter. I am at Dan Vespris. We will talk to you again tomorrow, 4 out of 31, in the tank, 27 to go. So long.